Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey everyone, Kevin McHugh, the host of Sheer Clarity podcast where we talk with leaders about becoming leaders by attraction. If you haven't listened to the show, it started back in April of 19 and I decided to download 30 years of my experience as an executive coach and facilitator, primarily with CEOs. I've met over 3,000 CEOs and in a nutshell, have asked them to drop all the armor and be vulnerable and open long before it became popular. But right now, sheer clarity is about the idea of everybody who's in a leadership position becoming absolutely crystal clear about who they are, knowing yourself, knowing your sense of purpose, knowing your ideas and values and philosophies, and being able to present those as a part of who you are. It's also about using that to connect with other people. So we talk a lot about that on the show. I did about 35 episodes, topics like trust and honesty and vulnerability. And I did run out of amazing things to say. And so I started having some amazing people as interviews. And that's what I have today. So my interview today is Keith Alper. He is the CEO of a, actually a holding company of seven or eight agencies. These are agencies in advertising, public relations, event management, but they really are all about engagement. I'll let him tell you more about it because I don't want to read his bio. The guy's right here, so he should tell it. But I do want you to know, I know this guy. I met him probably 15 or 20 years ago in my work as a YPO facilitator, met him in his small group, and we got to know each other. We stayed loosely connected over the years. I love him dearly, and he's a busy guy, so I'm very blessed to have him here and appreciate his time. And I'd like to welcome my good friend, Keith Alper. Morning. Hello, Kevin. Good to see you. It's great to have you here, man. So we'll get into the touchy-feely and the uh, leadership stuff in a minute, but tell anybody who's listening a little bit about you and about the business and just riff around and let us know who we're talking to. I usually like talking about outcomes, but I'll, so I'll talk about myself, which, you know, for a lot of people, it's hard to do, actually. Yes, it is. Not. I know. You know, I actually like to start, believe it or not, when I was a kid. And I was born, I'm from St. Louis, I live in St. Louis, but early in my life, like when I was in my five, six, seven, eight years old, I was very interested in communications, show business, then TV. And I'm very fortunate. Most kids never get to be what they want to be, the astronaut or the singer or the football player. And I used to ask my parents, I'm Jewish, so for Hanukkah, I'd ask them for extension cords and light brights so I can make a theater and, and put on a show, which they had to endure many times. But I'm very fortunate in my entire life that I've loved what I've done everything I've done in life. I've loved all my careers. And so first we'll go personal. I'm a dad. I have two kids, Zoe and Max, and they're now adult children, 20 and 24. And I had a wife named Nancy who I lost to breast cancer three and a half years ago. And when we talk about letting down the armor, that was the single most toughest thing in my entire life. And as you talk about how you reboot and reset, you know, most human beings aren't ready for that shock. Amen. It also gets you to think about why am I working so hard or why am I worried about this when you really do have to live each day because my wife died over a weekend and my kids were both in Israel and the worst time of my life. And I celebrate my wife, Nancy. And guess what? If you know anybody that's lost somebody, as you do, Kevin. I do. I do. You know that, unfortunately. Yep. We're unfortunately in the same club, is that you talk to your spouse a lot and you get messages from your spouse. And this is not a weirdo like ghost thing, but it's helped me guide my life moving forward and helped me guide my life with my kids. So if something comes up, I would counsel Nancy, who I know exactly how she would answer. We would have a little debate and then yeah. the outcome happens. Yeah. So that's me personally. And in business, I told you I started young and I did all that stuff. 
And then young in my life, I met a friend who's my business partner now of 35 years as of last week in the business that we have now together. And we met each other at Six Flags when we were both teenagers working in the entertainment department as stage managers. And the reason I like to say that is the Six Flags in St. Louis, we were running the theater and all the concerts and we were 17, 18, 19 years old running some of the biggest concerts, Waylon <laughs> Jennings, Willie Nelson, New Kids on the Block. I think they were paying us a buck 75 an hour. Amazing. Amazing. And guess what? I would have paid them a hundred bucks an hour to work. There. And that's where I got a chance to learn like things about oh, yeah. people and work and love that. And so fast forward, Steve and I and our partners have been in business and, you know, we started with a little company and now you know, we're about eight companies, but more importantly, doing a lot of different things from becoming one of the largest meeting and event producers in the country to raising millions and millions of dollars for nonprofits to doing advertising and marketing. And so the little kid in me gets to come to work every day and love what I do every single day. It's just not light brights yeah. and extension cords anymore. <laughs> we're doing things for some of the biggest companies in the world. And it's a lot of fun. And the best thing is, you know, Kevin, because you're so involved in development and coaching, is to be able to coach young people and take them to new heights has been my favorite thing. I used to call her my oldest employee, and that's not kosher. My longest running employee is with us 34 years. She's still our most senior producer We've been the only job and we love her and I just love what she does. And her name is Neil Rebman and we celebrate her because she's someone that ended up on our door one day saying, you know, I'd love to do this. And she's been with us. And then we have kids coming out of school that we can give opportunities. So the other interesting thing is starting about four and a half years ago, we started this great company called GenieCast. Everybody said now once COVID hit that, oh, you guys were ahead of your time and we had this idea of people didn't need to be together face-to-face, -face, even though we sold that every day, that there's always another option and even hybrid. So that's my little life wrapped up, and I'm going to stick to it. I love it. I love it. It actually is. What a great irony. Here's a guy who builds an entire business on events and stagecraft and the wow factor and the entertainment factor, and you build a big pillar of your business and your revenue on a live events. And lo and behold, before you even heard the word COVID, you were creating this new technology. For people who may not know what GenieCast is and what that technology is, I've seen it. It's pretty cool. Just give them a little taste of what that is so that they have an idea when I talk about it. Let me actually do a 30-second story because you'll love this. My company, CPG, was producing for YPO, right? The world's largest CEO organization. We were producing what they call their global leadership conference in EDGE that was supposed to happen this year on March 2nd. The minute I landed, I got a call from somebody on the board saying, we just canceled this event. Oh. But let me go back about five years when we were producing the GLC and EDGE in Denver. I don't know if you were there, Kevin, but probably about five or six years ago. And this is the most ironic thing is only in YPOs, you know, connected members, somebody came to me and my company saying, hey, I know you guys are producing this, but about three days from now is the event. But a guy in YPO is friends with Julian Assange, who is in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And we want to know, how do we get him here? How do they can't physically get him here? And so remember, I told you I've been doing this since a kid. I said, well, we, sell, we hire a satellite truck, we rent satellite. And this is how much it costs. I said, let's do it. By the way, YPO is non-political. It's a global organization. So at the same time, what they didn't realize is they were going to piss off the former president, George Bush, who was supposed to speak the next morning. And eventually, George Bush and Julian Assange were in a global fight and always with the center of YPO GLC. And two days later, three days later, our CNBC host interviewing Julian Assange live and interactive. And somebody like you could come to the microphone at the end and said, Mr. Assange, I either hate you or I love you. And that is the moment where I thought we've been spending millions of dollars and times of either getting people we couldn't get or get. And it hit me that moment. Why is anybody doing this virtual? So I would have never come up with this idea if it weren't for Julian Assange. So. Oh my God. Oh my so God. So Jeannie Cast always started with the premise of it's not about technology. It's about content. So think about that. You don't go on to Netflix because of technology. It's enabled by technology. You go on for great shows. 
you don't go to HBO for their bandwidth, you go to HBO for their shows. So we always came out with the help of some really wise investors that said, don't build the pipeline, build great content. And so we started four and a half years ago, by the way, the first year really hard. Hey, Kevin, you normally get 20,000 to speak in front of a group. Would you consider doing it for 3,000 because it's virtual? And after we started picking up speed, now we have thousands and thousands of people on our platform, the world's largest virtual platform of speakers, experts, thought leaders, CEOs, entertainers. In fact, Wayne Gretzky, the great one, is my business partner and is on GenieCast. Joe uh, Buck, the world's greatest <laughs> sportscaster, is an investor. And, and, and so the greatest thing that we're still about, and then we can leverage all kinds of technology. So now our technology can make your event look like you're on ESPN or something with a spinning logo and keying names and all that beautiful. Cause what's happening right now are people having zoom fatigue. Oh yeah. And what we realized as with our event producer stuff is no, 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 you have to produce an event, but on TV and you got to keep it engaging. And occasionally you have to get really serious and zoom into the camera like I'm doing right now to get your attention. And so in four and a half years, this year we'll have surpassed doubling our business again this year. And we're really excited. But the biggest, most important thing is it's still that show business that when I was a kid, want to deliver engaging content. And now think about it, Kevin. You can have anybody for your board meeting, your group or whatever. And I'm not selling here, but that we were able to bring access to the table, reduce cost. And even if someone can't be there, they can even be there via their iPhone in their car if that had to be, like we did with Joe Buck right before the World Series. We had 20 people talk to him. They interacted with him. They hung up. He did the game, and they did another 20 minutes with him. So now start to think about all those things. So oh, what I like man. to say is we're really just getting started, but it's all about content access. And like you and I, you and I did a half an hour discussion before we started. You can't get that from a live event. Wouldn't have happened. So yeah. there is this new hybrid book. So that's my world. That's what I'm doing. And I'm sticking with it. You're killing me here. You're killing me because you and I are going to talk after this podcast interview and I'll lay it out there now so that anybody who's listening will sort of be looking for it. I just had some time with a client and they asked me to record a couple of video intros to my podcast. They're going to use about 10 episodes as part of their leadership training. So they're going to get people to listen independently and then gather as a Zoom call virtually and have a conversation. They said, would you do a little intro? So I did that. And when I sat down to do it, he had two guys in the room who were hired to do the video. And I'm just doing what I do and looking in the camera. And these two guys looked at each other and go, have you been doing this all your life or what? I go, no. I'm. He goes, well, you're pretty darn good. And I thought, well... I know, I probably should do something more like this, right? Within an hour, I have a person here locally who I've been talking to a little bit about PR. She listened to the podcast, and she's an ex-radio and television personality. And she said, I don't understand. Why don't you have like 50,000 people listening because you got that voice? <laughs> I said, that's funny. I just had a bunch of video guys say something. And then maybe one hour later, my podcast producer said to me, have we thought about doing live stream yet? where we can have a call-in show. And so you're blowing my mind that you're saying, oh, this is like, you know, when you get hit over the head four times with the same hammer, something's, something's happening. So Now let me ask you a question, and all your viewers a question. First of all, you've been doing this a long time. You've just been in front of groups or 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 or 200, right? You might not have had a microphone or you might have spoke or whatever. So what people love is the real deal. Okay, they want it in business. You know, you aren't going off a script. I'm not going off a script. I haven't seen any questions or anything like that. And that's what people want is authenticity. I mean, do you remember 20 years ago, you couldn't be a news anchor unless you're a white male named Joe Smith? Or else, I don't want that. I want authenticity. But the best thing is to be able to have a discussion. And that's the thing we've learned is make it interactive and make it interesting but the other thing that you have is that ability to tell stories. And that's what people want to bring out and understand and those type of things. So you don't have to convince me that live and interactive is the way. And by the way, GenieCast is only live. Now, we might tape it and replay it for somebody at a company, but our motto is only live. So what I was going to say earlier is how many people 
six months ago, Kevin would say, hey, let's do a call. And you guys call each other on your cell phone, right? Nobody does anymore. Everybody does Zoom calls. Think about it. I would do Zoom calls. I know the founder, Eric, of Zoom because we went to him and said, hey, we want you to white label a platform to us four and a half years ago, which he wouldn't do. And at times we use Zoom too. But there's nobody I don't talk to every day that's not a Zoom call now or a Skype call that's or right. whatever. Even somebody that said, I would never have done this in the future. It's the only way to do things because it's authentic. In the old times, I was texting my kids. I was doing emails. I was not engaged. engaged. <laughs> and that is the magic. If your listeners want to do something, it's the billion dollar word. How do you engage with your customers? How do you engage with your team? How do you, it's all about engagement. I even wrote a book about it about called From Like to Love. And that's all about it is engagement and loving people and loving what you do. This is a great spot to jump off because this idea of loving your people, I've felt it, I have it, I believe in it, and here's what I've come to the conclusion. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I tend to work on the individual first and foremost. So when I have a CEO, I don't think they can truly communicate or express the kind of love and care that you're talking about until they have some measure of it for themselves. And again, I'd like you to check this. And if there's somebody who's jogging right now on their treadmill and listening to this, maybe they can answer the question for themselves. We've met a lot of people in powerful leadership positions over the years, right? How many of them do you genuinely think have this connection with themselves where they can understand who they are on the inside and have a level of peace and self-understanding so they're in position to present that to the world? You talked about it. Okay, you're five years old and you end up with a little passionate and then you're running around with Christmas lights or Jewish Hanukkah lights as the case was. and. Actually, we can only find Christmas lights, actually. So thank you to the Christians for the Christmas lights. That's All <laughs> Christmas lights are made by Jews, though. So we have a connection. There's so many connections between Jews and Christians, and Christmas lights has got to be one of the big ones. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is going to hell. I'm telling you, like, I'm just looking around me, and I have 18 rabbit holes. And I go, which <laughs> one are we going to go down? I'll bring it back to your book, From Like to Love. You know, you mentioned your top five things. And where we're talking about engagement, we're talking about the joy of engaging with technology. And it's not the technology. It's the experience of engaging. It's actually the content, the conversation. And the first thing you talked about in that book was people have to feel you genuinely care about them. And you do, and you care about your people. That's why you have people. But do you encounter clients when you have this powerful idea and are able to execute and make the place that they love and work for come alive. Have you encountered CEOs along the way who just don't have that? You say in the book, it starts at the top. Somewhere in the book, like in the second chapter, you say the C-suite has to encourage employee love. I've been clients where, you know, you say that to them and they're going to look at you like cross-eyed with like, no, we're talking about driving EBITDA and shareholder value, blah, blah, blah. So what percentage of the people do you think are really capable of this kind of baseline love and caring about others? Well, I think the first thing you did is you said, start with yourself. And so I'll just use myself as an example. I told you my, my wife, Nancy, died of breast cancer three and a half years ago. And I was going through a bunch of issues internally, just about a lot of things and feeling really lonely when your spouse of 25 years and also the mom of your kids dies. And my best friend in the world said, are you seeing a therapist? I'm like, oh, no, no, I would never go to the therapist. Those are for, you know, wacky people. And he's like, oh, I've been going to the therapist for 20 years. It's part of my daily food, you know, mind, body, and soul. And it's really helped me. And I'm always working on myself. Just like Tiger Woods always works on his swing. You don't stop. And so I got referred to a guy that everybody said in St. Louis, this is the CEO's therapist. Every high stress CEO and lawyer and doctor goes to this guy. 
and I went to this guy and I have since been going to the guy and have been able to unpack a lot of things. First of all, like how to deal with loss, how to deal with a lot of different things. And so the first thing I would echo a thousand times, like you said, you got to work on yourself first. That being said, other than maybe a few people, I've never met anybody that didn't have the ability to love. So you said, how many grandchildren do you have, Kevin? 13. Okay, throw you in a room with 13 grandkids, and I could say, hey, Kevin, would you like to meet? No, 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 I'm too busy. Would you want to meet to this group? No, 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 I'm too busy. That is your pure joy, I'm assuming. Yes. And it's love times a thousand. And I don't know if you have a dog, but you also talk goofy to your dog. And those are our real selves, the people that are home with our kids, with our family. And so what you start to learn is the great leaders, and they don't have to be CEOs because CEOs don't start as a CEO. They come up. Right. People that understand people and start to understand that it's not about them. And by the way, young in my career, I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. I'm the inventor of my business. (laughs) the youngest director ever in Six Flags and all these things until you realize, first of all, you're not that good. And the other thing is you better have great people around you. I would say 25% of leadership, no more than that, maybe 40% of leadership are not on the pure love. Okay. But there are clients and I'll name some out. Like it happens that Southwest Airlines is a client of our business and we worked with them for years. And I could tell you, behind the scenes, behind the hood, they're all about love. It's on their door. There's a reason. But yet, you don't realize it. Their pilots are union. Their flight attendants are union. It's not supposed to be this way. And by the way, the CO told me, it's not always love. You have to sometimes get in, just like in a marriage, but you still have that love. But the way they treat their employees Halloween is a national holiday for Southwest Airlines. That means, okay, unless you're on a flight in our operations center, everybody dresses up. The CEO dresses up. They shut everything down. It is a holiday unless you're in the day-to-day operation. (laughs) And because they want to have fun, but they want their people to have fun. So I can tell you I've seen so many great companies that the CEOs really get it. And guess what? There's a little secret. It pays dividends. It pays dividends. Oh, no kidding. Be good guys. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be tough times, okay? And I also can tell you, and you can guess who they are, there's a lot of companies that are bastards. They're not running properly. They've had terrible turnover. And it's born in the DNA until somebody shakes that DNA out. The reason we wrote Like to Love, because my company, CPG, we do so much culture work. Like we're helping run culture at Southwest Airlines that we figured out, I'm going to give everybody like a million dollar free gift today. It's on your hand. How do you get somebody that works for your company from liking working at your company to loving working at your company? So you have that business plan on your hand every day. How do we go from like to love? And by the way, an employee once said, I don't love it here right now. And I said, well, guess what? This is a two-way street. And actually, I'm not loving you right now. (laughs) You expect the company to do everything. And it's like a relationship. So there's no perfection. But the last little story I'm going to tell you is up the street is a Walgreens from my house. And I always run in the Walgreens for something. And there's a woman who's worked there for apparently 30 years. She's got every kind of customer service label on. But she gets on and she's like, anything you can do, I can do better. I'm open at aisle number 15 if you're in line. (laughs) Or you can say, hey, I'm looking for Band-Aids. She doesn't say they're over in aisle four. She's like, let me go with you and help you pick the best one from you. And I keep on telling her, I'm like, damn it, you're so good. How are you so good? She says, I love my job. So Walgreens didn't make it. They hired somebody who loved their job and they let her be who she is. So that was a long answer. It's a great answer. No, it's a great answer. But I'm telling you, here's the connection that I'm making from what you're saying. And this idea of therapy, this idea of working on yourself is really, really underrated. I'm still a bit amazed at where we are in time and space. You know, if you went back 50 years, therapy was way under the radar. It's only for the truly ill. You have to be having a nervous breakdown. And of course, then they would actually just send you some kind of institution. It was brutal. But now we're in the world of self-awareness and emotional intelligence, which is, gosh, going on 15 years old. But I still encounter every day people who have this idea that 
Therapy is for people who are like really crazy or can't function and they're embarrassed by it. And so at the minimum, you're driving a stake in the ground. You got to go work on yourself. I'm actually working in a coaching model where I put a lot of work and emphasis on my own development so I could get some skills to do it. So short of going to a therapist, I use a model called voice dialogue, which is a Jungian model where you can actually speak to yourselves. The young thought we had many selves, not just one. We had all these different energies. Some were there to protect, some were there to get us what we want, and some are disowned. So I do all that stuff. But if we could get more people in leadership positions to understand that self-reflection, introspection, looking in, understanding the terrain, sometimes I'll liken it to a blueprint. Like if you ever seen a blueprint of a building, it's like a big roll of sheets and there's like a hundred sheets and each sheet has only one thing. This is the pipes. These are the wires. These are the ducts. And you peel back each sheet to go see the layers and layers and layers. And from there, that kind of work by a CEO, by any leader, if that position starts with self-acceptance, self-love and a sensibility, you can activate your loving capacities. And when those go outward, Like when you really see and feel and sense what love is and how it works, and then you actually go to work every day to love the people who are coming in, they're coming in, they're coming in the back door or they're punching in or they're doing this or they're doing that. Can you be that kind of CEO who just walks up to everybody and says, I love you and genuinely feels it in your heart? That's gold. And what you're telling me is you unleash this gap between liking to loving probably has some very serious value measurement. There is a return on that investment. Huge. By the way, let me add on to that. Thank you for your, I want to later offline hear more about that self-discovery you're doing. But the other thing you have to realize is there some people that don't like working at your company or don't like whatever, if they don't like it, they shouldn't be there. Meaning like you can't save every employee. It might've been a bad hire or they might realize it's not a fit. I don't want to work every week on an events, Keith. I just don't like that. And we're like, okay, let us help you exit and we're going to help you find something. But the power is in the people that love it. And by the way, I ask in a lot of friends' companies, I do some coaching, not for money, just a few friends. And I'll always go around their company. So do you like working here? They go, I love it. And I'm looking for that word love because those are the people that are stay extra. They'll do all those different things. That's right. Yeah, I think in the engagement definition I saw somewhere, maybe in one of the Gallup things, they talk about it's the extent to which people feel a deep emotional connection to the mission of the company that they will actually give discretionary time. They feel such a connection that there's like an urgency to do this work or get this done because I love my job and I love my company. And I can't even imagine just packing up at five o'clock when I know this thing is needed. And if I got to do some extra hanging out, I'll do it. And imagine the value of that discretionary time multiplied over millions and millions of workers. Well, now there's a new secret. The new secret for all your listeners. And I'm really, I apologize to these two gentlemen because we just met two weeks ago. They have embraced the work of doing good for the world and the community. And that is the other power driver that if your company doesn't do good, your employees, if you've got either 10 employees or 1,000 employees or 50,000 employees, the companies that do good for the community and do the right thing, because guess what? Your company, you know, it starts inside. That's right. So if your employees don't love you, I mean, you're seeing this as a pushback now at these companies that they're the number one place people want to work at Google and Facebook. And you have thousands of employees pushing back so much. So I think it was at Google, they stopped a defense department project because the employees say, we won't work on it. None of us will work on this project. That also comes out of the love of doing good for others. Right. And so that is something the CEO now has to deal with because it's not just top down. Right. And now you got to deal with your own workforce that is very public on social media, on Glassdoor and those things to say, hey, guess what? Behind the scenes, we're not such a good company. More importantly, behind the scenes, we're an unbelievable company. You know, so much of what we do, we talk about communities. YPO is a community of peers. EO is a community of peers. Okay. People's religious faith is a community of peers. 
And the hottest thing going at corporate America is communities. So we work, for example, for one of the largest health systems. I think they have about 100 communities. That means uh, Hispanic workers, gay workers, Asian workers, single moms. They have a safe haven and they can be who they want to be and they give them time, right? And so when you wrap all this up, it's not just an easy like, oh, I love you and here's a ping pong table. It's, oh, I love you, and we're going to give you three days off a year to go do whatever you want to do good in the community. I want to put a plug in for these guys because it's something I'm very passionate about. They happen to be a client, but two people that I want to mention. First is, we were talking about it, a good friend, and he's in YPO, a guy named Arnold Donald, was a big executive at Monsanto in his heyday, but he has been on the board of Carnival Corporation for years, and then the chairman and CEO at the time asked him to become CEO, I don't know, about seven or eight years ago. They had some issues. Arnold turned it around. Their stock tripled, all this great stuff. And then, boom, they're going through a terrible crisis. But I just recently talked to him, and he gave me his leadership principles. And I got so grounded in a guy that had to stop their business. Their revenue's down 99.9%, and he's telling me how they're going to come back. But when you talk about love, when Arnold took this job, I said, why would you want to take this job? You've retired. You've made a lot of money. You're giving back to the community. Why would you want to work for a Fortune 50? And so, well, first of all, I love everything about cruising. I've always gone on cruises. I enjoy gambling. I enjoy dancing. I enjoy getting a drink at the bar. I enjoy art. It's all on the cruises. It's all there. <laughs> We're the biggest in the world. And when I tell you, and I'm saying this, and if Arnold would ever watch us, I'm saying this because Arnold is, is comfortable with the deckhand that's a janitor in England, as he is with meeting with the chancellor or whatever he's called, the president of China, who they do work with. I've never met a lot of human beings that were so authentic and loved people and could sit down and talk with a CEO or a president and also the deckhands. I'm not talking about two minutes, hi, how you doing? It's a 50 minute hour conversation Tell me what you like about your job. Tell me more about you. Who's back at home? And I've learned so much from him. And I've learned so much because I've had the opportunity to see him work. It's exciting to see that type of human being. And I aspire for all CEOs and all leaders and all people on the way up. But even if you're a manager of a department, how important it is that right now, most corporations, the manager is ducking down. They don't want anybody to see what they're doing. They don't want to get fired. But now it's all about transparency and being authentic. So that's what we love. And to me, everything you're saying is what I feel I'm trying to do every day. I'm just trying to take one CEO at a time and say, what's blocking this person? What are their old ideas about what success looks like? I mean, there's a couple of industries where Smartest guy in the room is like the norm. You know, I've spent some time talking to a couple of big pharma executives. And when you get a bunch of super bright scientist types, like everybody walks in, smartest person in the room kind of thing. Head down to Wall Street, investment banking, you get the same thing, right? Technology, yes, same thing. And so when everybody's so busy preeming and, and positioning and they're doing all that because they believe that's what they're supposed to do. They come to this conclusion, right? I got to get here, 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 here. I got to look like this. I got to sound like this. I got to do this. And every single part of that is going to be an obstacle to any kind of reception of love or transmission of love. And I'll tell you this, just talking to you right now, this is a confession of my own. And I'd love for you to comment to see if you see something similar. I feel there's a performer gene that sort of gets activated in a certain kind of person. These are people that we meet in YPO. Everybody there has got this performer gene. So every day I'm performing in some way, shape, or form. It's a performance. And, you know, you actually love performing, but you love creating the stage and then making it all big and yeah, yeah, you know. So I got all these people running around. Well, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I performed and I performed and I, and I eventually ended up in the CEO's office getting myself fired because they weren't giving me enough room to perform and as big as I could. And eventually I'm doing this. So now I'm performing. Do you know what I've discovered? This I'm 67. 
I would say it's only been the last eight to 10 years. When I had this aha moment, I think you and I share this thing with our wives dying. My wife passed away from ovarian cancer probably 18 or 19 years ago, and we've shared our stories about that and how that opened you up. But with the absence of that love and the security of that love, that's when I started waking up to what love is because it was its absence that made it so vivid. And I felt so afraid and so alone. And then I met and married my wife, Mary, who has filled my life with a whole number of other things. And I started to get this idea that I'm actually loved. So if you're busy performing, if you're busy driving results, if you're busy on the stage, if you're busy presenting and looking and appearing and sounding and doing all the things that the world tells you, you cannot feel how much people love you. You won't because you're too noisy. All your energy is out. I'll point people to one of the episodes with Toby Levin, who talked about push-pull energy. We're still living in a world where everybody's pushing. You know, got to get, got to get, got to perform, got to hit the bell, ring the bell. I'm sorry. All that outflow of energy is going to stop you from feeling anything incoming. And I've just started over the last 10 years to realize this, that I've actually been insecure in some ways about it. I never stopped to feel it or to witness it. And when you and I got prepped for the call, there's something I do and have been doing the last five years. I actually stop and pray and just want to be there for you. Nobody was there when we were talking at the beginning. This started with me and you talking about just love, period. We're messengers for this, and I'm trying to get people to break through, 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 to go take a chill. We're human beings, not human doings. It's not what you do that's making you anything. It's who you are and how you are with other people. And I think we're on a mission to teach and bring this to the world. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, right after my wife died, you know, I'm running, 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 running. And then my wife dies. I started to decide I need to take care of my family, my two kids. I'm a dad. Nancy ran the house and our personal life and the kids' school and all that stuff. I took care of the businesses. And by the way, not only did I take care of the businesses, I was on the road either every week or every other week. So I was very there as a dad, but not always there when I was on the road. And I decided early on that I needed to give myself a day off. So from the time my wife passed away, I would typically work from home on Fridays to be with my wife anyway. It was kind of a catch-up day. I could work at home. Oh, people working from home without ever work? Well, we've seen that. (laughs) She always said, even though you're in your office, I like that you're here. And so I'd work on every Friday. And then when she passed away, I said, you know what? I need Fridays for me. I need Fridays to be a dad. I need Fridays for the house. And I need Fridays for me. So actually, I strongly, strongly, strongly suggest, especially those that can do it, that are entrepreneurs that don't have a boss, but either others can do it. Now, a lot of people are working from home. So maybe now to take a day and go to the office to escape, but to kind of escape in your own world and not only work on yourself and get your days cleaned up. Oh my God, I forget the guy's name. He's a great guy. He's got a thing called the strategic coach, Dan, uh, whatever his name is. But I went to strategic coach and he taught Dan Sullivan. Yeah. And I went to his classes and he's great. And he's got a lot of white peers and he's helped a lot of people. But his first thing that he teaches you is everybody needs an administrative assistant. You need an assistant in your life if you're going to grow into all these things. So because of him, I had an assistant. I've always had assistants. And then he would talk about free days and focus days. And he gave me a stat, and this stat is completely wrong. But the stat is that a professional football player really only works hard as a quarterback 17 minutes or 18 minutes a game, whatever the number was, that he's on play. Okay. And the rest of the time, he does actually have some downtime, but he takes some free days to do conditioning and all that other stuff. Entrepreneurs, it's the other way. We're on, on, on. And when you were talking about reflecting, this is something I'll share that in one of my forums, and I won't share who said it, is we all, a bunch of us determined we were not good at accepting. So somebody's kids would get them a gift and they didn't know how to say thank you. That's right. And by the way, so probably me as a type A and ADD, I've had a lot of hard times of people saying, oh, your parents should be proud or look what you've done or look how much money you've raised. And I've deflected it. And part of the reason I deflected it, I'm looking at is maybe some things that happened when I was a kid. 
And so I'm trying to unpack some of that with a therapist that says, you know, embrace it. So if I tell you right now, which is all honest, you know, hey, Kevin, I've known you for a long time. Your brand has always been tough love, but with love with a capital L. So when you were in our forum, you got us in the mode to really think because we were in the wrong direction. But you've always been about love back then and back now and now more than ever since we've had that. And so what you find is you've got great people in your life that you know you could call on or listen to or hire or bring to the table. But we all have our brand. Like you have a brand and you have a great brand. Okay. And by the way, some of us want to shake off another brand. Like, you know, some people go, oh my God, Keith's really tough in business. Well, no, I'm just a perfectionist. So I'm a perfectionist. I've had to get better to say, hey, I think we can try harder or do better. And so I studied what Disney does and how they make every movie better by having their best directors coach the next guy and coach that up to be a film. There's a great book that they wrote about that. So, you know, I want to go back to one thing because I went off on a tangent like you called a rabbit hole. Is Arnold Donald, the CEO of Carnival, introduced me because he was chairman and CEO of a group called the Executive Leadership Council. And the Executive Leadership Council is now 30 years old Actually, they're having a big gala tomorrow online. But, you know, 30 years ago, 25 black executives got together and said, we're working in corporate America. We have no positions on the board and we have no positions in C-suites. There is no room for black people in America in corporate world. This is only 20, 30 years ago. And since then, the reason I bring that up is when you talk about companies and having love, I'll just talk about America right now. It can't be all white men. So when you talk about the people that know everything in the room, so the CEOs that are really not for political reasons, for doing the right thing to have a lot of different people in the room, because it's got to look and serve your market. And so what I love is now you're seeing more women in leadership than ever. You're seeing more African-Americans in leadership than ever. You're seeing a lot of more gay people. And the only reason I bring that up is because that is one of those other wink winks it's really good for business, it's really good for team, and it's really good for kind of that customer love. You know, and I bring that up because there have been so many people before us that have done this, where there are certain cities and states that nobody would ever consider having a black CEO of a bank. How many black CEOs of banks do you know? Still today in 2020, my good friend Orv Kimbrough, who is an African-American in, in St. Louis, he happened to run the United Way for years, and he's our first black private CEO bank CEO, and I've learned so much from him, but I've also learned the customer love, but the employee love, because they're all about diversity and inclusion for everybody, but also for communities unserved. And so what you do is you have to find joy in a lot of those things. So some of the greatest CEOs are really embracing that, and that is also providing love to themselves. So I had to bring that out. I think it's perfect. You know who I've been following, and I'll say this to anybody who's interested in listening, the CEO of Merck is a guy named Ken Frazier. Ken, if you just you know Google him on YouTube, you'll see some of his interviews, and he speaks very, very powerfully. And I think there's only four or five black CEOs in the Fortune 500. Currently five. Yeah. And so Ken Frazier, very articulate on this. The other thing that you're reminding me of is I've done some work with MasterCard on the diversity and inclusion side, and they have a wonderful chief diversity and inclusion officer by the name of Randall Tucker. I'll just give him some props. And we had a conversation not long ago. He said, you know, as we navigate this and go into the various affinity groups and different identities, he said, we've actually realized a phenomenon. He goes, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do about it yet. But as we went ahead and celebrated the various identifications and identities and differences, we found ourselves, without knowing it, we were actually putting people into places of comfort with their like-minded people and celebrating them, but inadvertently creating separation. And so now we're coming back to saying, we noticed that, so let's get back to the cross-pollinization piece so we can do both. We have identity, we have connectivity, but if we're not careful, it becomes a tribal separation and we have defeated the whole purpose because the inclusion part of diversity, you know, we put those two words together, diversity and inclusion, of course, but there's actually a critical part of linking those two together. 
Right. And I'm happy you brought up Ken Frazier. He's a member of ELC, right? So every black CEO is in ELC. That is their other job is to make sure. And my favorite thing about ELC is they give hundreds of scholarships away to traditionally black universities. But when we give these awards away to young 20 year olds, the future of the world is in front of us. And those people don't know racism like we knew racism. They're still feeling it. And so it is diversity inclusion. In fact, I like to tell people in my live show business, I don't want anybody to compliment the sound. Because either the sound is terrible or it's just great. Okay? So when there's a meeting, you either hear, I couldn't hear his mic, I couldn't hear the sound. But when you start to think about diversity inclusion, like a lot of great companies, it's a great company. They're great with customers. They're great with employees. And there's a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. But if you don't have different voices at the table, you're not going to know. Boy, we've solved every world's problem today, Kevin. <laughs> I want to go get something before I'm the first guy to get up and leave your show. This is a three-second get up. Okay. I'm not doing like a Mike Wallace, like, I'm out of here. I'll be back. Riff real quick. That's okay. I can riff a little bit to. Whoever might be listening, I appreciate you listening. I hope you're enjoying our time together. This has been crazy. We'll start wrapping this up in the next five minutes or so, but you go ahead. This three seconds better be worth it, man. I did it. I've already since gone, but I wanted to read something out of my book because you hit on it and I did a cheat sheet and now I got to find it. But basically we go through the five things these are the like to love wrestling page. So you don't have to buy my book. I have it. No, I'm telling the world. Okay. Here are the five Tell things. It, baby. Okay? Tell it. The five basic needs. This is for every leader and anybody running an organization. You genuinely care about me. Number two, I trust you and you trust me. Number three, you listen to me. Number four, you appreciate me for who I am. And you tell me so. And we share a meaningful purpose. And if you get any of those, even to the 70% line, Amen. you're there. But more importantly, you unlock yourself too. I'm telling you, bud, this has been an amazing interview. I think we could do this a long time. I try to keep them into a spot. Here's a question I have to ask because I'm trying to make it a signature part of the interview. You ready? Yep. So... I got some great advice from my podcast producer when I do these interviews that made a difference. And this is the first interview that I'm doing with his advice. I used to talk as though there was a million people listening, right? Like I make reference to my listeners and what have you. The truth is, I don't know how many I have, but he reminded me that anybody who's listening to a podcast is just one person. So I don't know who's listening. He said, but talk to them. Spend more time with your guests. Worry less about who might be listening and just talk to your guests. And that's what I've been doing since we've been together. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, because it's really just one person. So whoever might be in this moment listening, I'm talking to you rather than a bunch of everybody, right? So this time I've spent with you to be honest with you, is the first time I've felt this level of enjoyment because I was always worried during the interview, is this a good interview when I'm performing? And I let it all go. And the reason I think it was so easy to do because of who you are, because you do walk this love talk. It's very clear to me. It's very obvious to me. And every time you got elevated and excited on the call, it was usually when we're talking about love. And I happen to think that is the answer. And it sounds corny. I feel like I'm going back to the 60s, right? Might be a little bit earlier than me, but I grew up with Vietnam going on, peace, love, the 60s, the whole smash. But it's genuinely true. This idea of love and loving people, where they are, how they are, is the essence of being effective, period. And you got to start on the inside and rearrange the furniture so you love yourself a little bit more. You've got to learn how to receive it. And then you're in a position to give it. And every single element of this problem we're solving with diversity and inclusion is essentially these are human beings worthy of love, beautiful individuals by themselves in and of themselves. And I hope we get to the place where that's how we treat each other. 
So you're a pioneer in this, and you're in a platform of this, and you walk that talk. So I thank you for that. The question that I ask everybody to answer is this. Take where you are now. I think you said you're probably 57, 58, thereabouts. And if you could stand on the path of your life and turn around and look back on the path and you see your 25-year-old self, Keith Alper, wherever he was, anywhere from 23 to 25, working with Six Flags, or that was at 18, maybe it was after Six Flags. I don't know where you were, but look back and see yourself there and give yourself some advice. Because maybe there is somebody who's 25 who might be listening or somebody's 30. You know, both of us have talked about loving the younger people and coaching them and mentoring them. I feel the same way. So just tell them what you would say to yourself looking back or wished you had heard way back when. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. It's be authentic, be who you want to be, be yourself, and don't get caught up in the stuff. So when I say that, I was recently with a guy I know from YPO a few months ago, and he's getting divorced. He's miserable. He's got a really successful business. But he said, I left out the most important parts of my life. It was all about business and money. People get caught up. You want nice things. You want to live in a nice house. You want to live. But those aren't the important things. And as you know, and as I know, when you can get the most lonely, like when somebody dies, what is important? And I don't know that, thank God, when I'm 25, hopefully. My kids do know that. And so they've learned that lesson of what's important and what's not. That's how I guide my life now is literally day to day. I can't control the coronavirus. I can't control what's going on in politics, but I can take myself and care about me and my family and not care what other people think or drive or do or whatever. And you know, a lot of this is wrapped up. People wanted to be accepted. And so much of that acceptance, most people don't give up. They don't care how big or small your house is. They don't care where you even went to school. This is a joke for my Harvard friends. What other people tell you the first thing where they went to school? If most people went to other schools, they don't bring up where they went to school. And I'm not knocking Harvard people because it's a great school. But part of that is to be accepted and to show I am better. (laughs) You know, I told my kids when they were applying for colleges, first, I don't care if you go to college. I want you to be happy. I don't care where you go to college. And you'll find your own way. But just because you go to one or the other, if you look at some of the most successful people, some of them never went to college. So acceptance, vulnerability, all these things we're talking about, boy, I wish I would have known when I was 25. Amen, brother. Well, thank you for that. Well, we'll close the show with that great advice. Keith Alper, I don't think I could have imagined it being as great an opportunity as we actually had. And that's because of you. I know your time is crazy and valuable, so thank you for the gift of it. It's a gift to me, and I'm sure it's going to be a gift to anybody who had a chance to spend some time getting to know you on this podcast. I'll close up the show and just say thanks to anyone who is listening. We're glad you're here. We hope you'll shout this out to your friends. You can find us on SheerClarity.com and on any of the other podcast platforms. So for that right now, I'll sign off. This is Kevin McHugh, your host of Sheer Clarity. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.